Good morning, brothers and sisters. I don't think I've ever considered myself an optimist. Uh, I think I'm a realist. It's kind of that German mindset, very practically minded. You know, I'm not a pessimist. I'm not an optimist. I try to look at things as they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's one of the reasons why I like the book of Ecclesiastes so much. The first reading that we had today was from this book. And it begins, as you heard, vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. Now, Koheleth, the one who is writing down this particular word of God, is the son of King David, known as Solomon, the wise. And if you read this book, and if you haven't, I really encourage you to do so. There's a lot of wisdom here. He talks about how he has this great desire to know the truth, to understand all things. And so he spends much of his life investigating everything he can find out. He learns various occupations. He studies this and he studies that. And in this book in particular, he talks about all of the ways he has sought after happiness and joy in this life. He says he's built great houses and beautiful gardens. He's amassed wealth, gold and silver. He's gained greater wisdom than all other peoples on the earth. And in the end, he says, it's all vain. It's all vanity. None of these things fulfilled me. None of these things made me happy. Now, again, this is the word of God. The Holy Spirit is speaking through him in this regard. And if you read the whole book, Koheleth comes down to two things that are not vain. That's it. In all of life on earth, there are two things that aren't vain. The first is having good work that provides the means to meet your needs and being virtuous and following God's commands. Those are the two things that aren't vain, that he discovers. Everything else is vain. Vain, of course, means unfruitful. It has no real benefit. It's empty in the end. And that's exactly what our Lord is warning against in the gospel today. He tells the crowd, he tells all of us, take care to guard against all greed. For though one may be rich, one's life does not consist in possessions. More often than not, we make some earthly goal some earthly object or means or possession, in our mind, that thing that will make us happy, once I obtain this, once I get that, once this happens to me, then I'll be content. And it could be that new job, that promotion, that raise. You know, if you're a child, what happens? You watch some advertisement, and you go to mom and dad, and you say, mom and dad, I really need this. I do, whatever it is, some toy, some piece of clothing. I really, like the child actually believes it's a need. They're convinced. Because that advertisement sold them this lie. If you have this, you'll finally be happy. And we think as adults we're much different. No, our our toys are just more expensive. Our goals just seem more mature. But in the end, they're not. Koheleth is right. He is speaking for God. In the end, all of those goals in this life that you seek ultimately are vain and empty. 
and cannot fulfill you. But it is very difficult for us to realize the difference between wants and needs. Remember, Quaheva says, yes, you, need, you should have a good job to provide for your needs so you get enough rest, good food. Even vacation is a need. You need to take breaks. God gives you one day off a week. We have so many basic needs, and if we seek to fulfill them in right order, and this is what the philosophers teach, the theologians, of course, too, then you'll find contentment in life. But we're constantly fed this lie that you, you need more. This new iPhone, it'll make you happy. Having over a certain number of Facebook friends will make you happy. Nobody on Facebook is your friend, just get over it. So it's such an important lesson we have to learn, to learn to distinguish between necessity and want. And it's not always clear, it's not always obvious. What did our Lord say to this young man when he asked him, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. So mom and dad have died. The oldest brother, which is the law, gets the inheritance. Unless mom and dad divvied it up between the kids before they died, that's it. It all goes to the eldest brother. Sorry, ladies. And so the younger brother is upset because the older brother is not inclined to share the inheritance. And you'd think, wouldn't God want him to share? I mean, does he really need all of that? And our Lord's response to this is, friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? It's not my responsibility. Here is the Lord who's come to save the world, and he's not concerned, or at least he's not going to get involved in this dispute over inheritance. So often when we are convinced that we need something, we go to God, we pray, right? We're trying to be good Christians, spiritual people, so we pray, and we think that God agrees with our need. So all I have to do is ask, and then he's going to work it out. And maybe a similar situation has happened to you. There's a dispute over inheritance in your family. And so you go to God, Lord, please, convince them to be just, to share the inheritance with, with me. And would you be surprised if our Lord said this to you? This isn't my problem. Why do we assume oftentimes that God's judgment will fit within ours in regards to wants and needs? It's because we don't realize that God ultimately doesn't care whether I have money or not. He doesn't. He cares whether having money or not having money will help me get to heaven. To some, God gives great wealth. That's what the scriptures say. Why? Because he knows the best way for them to get to heaven is to learn to use that wealth to help others, to not use it selfishly, but to be generous with the poor and the church, well, especially the church, but the poor too, right? So if they can learn to use that wealth generously, that will be their path to heaven. For the rest of us, the majority of us, he knows if he gives us wealth, it'll lead us straight to hell. And so we pray, Lord, I could just use more money in this or more money in that. And he says, really? You think that would help you? He is concerned with your soul. 
and he will use whatever external means he needs to help you stay close to him. Because that, in fact, is the greatest need of each one of us. It's not the needs of our body, as important as those may be. It's the needs of our soul. The body can die because Jesus can resurrect that. But if the soul dies, if it's damned, it's damned forever. We are immortal beings. You have to remember this. Human beings are immortal. Once created, we live forever. So out of necessity, the greatest good for us are the goods of our soul. So we have to stop in our prayer making these assumptions that my idea of what is necessary is truly best for my soul or the souls of others. You know, I've talked to you before about my migraines. You'd think that that's not really good for me. How do you know? How do I know? I'm convinced that the Lord has his reasons. It's best for my soul. It's probably best for your soul. I might not like it. I certainly would prefer them to go away. <laughs> but I learned long ago that I'm not in charge of my own life. I wasn't meant to be. I'm not my own God. This is something we have to pray about a deeper knowledge and understanding of the differences between needs and wants. To have the proper ordering of our needs, the needs of our soul, the highest. And then also to pray for the trust and the patience to endure whatever circumstances of our life that may be challenging or difficult. Trusting that the Lord has a reason, a plan for it. That nothing can happen to his children apart from his will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.